Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Glad to be back with all of you after a, well, we'll call it a spring break for me or for the show. Uh, I've had some videos that have been released on YouTube, but it's been uh, two weeks since we've had a uh, regular episode on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. So glad to be back with all of you. Hope your year is going well so far. For today's episode, I wanted to talk about something that has really gained traction in our culture in the last, I don't know, decade, maybe two decades, and that is the popular uh, concept of meditation. Christians um, tend to distance themselves from the concept of meditation as a practice, but uh, it has been the case that many Christians seem to try to find a way to uh, remedy or kind of uh, regain or redeem the idea of meditation as is explained in culture, and that's often done with things like explaining yoga as strictly an exercise routine and distancing it from the religious connection that it has had historically. So I'm not here to really deal with all of that per se, but what I wanted to do is actually talk about the Christian conception of meditation, and just by way of making it clear, I wanted to contrast it with what we do see in our culture uh, as being uh, explained as meditation as a practice. So, <clears throat> if you do have a Bible, we're eventually going to make our way to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. But first, I wanted to set the stage, again, not to talk about the do's and don'ts of meditation as a Christian, but to contrast what the world says meditation is and what Christians, or what the Bible says meditation is. And this might be an interesting practice uh, to correct ourselves from using familiar terminology without clarifying the language. I talk about this all the time when it has to do with denominations and how many Christians will say they believe the same things, they'll use the same terminology, but how they define that terminology that they use ends up showing that they're on two opposite ends of the spectrum, or even have uh, definitions that are contrasted or that go up against each other. And so this kind of thing is really helpful because if the topic of meditation comes up, or if you hear people talk about Christian meditation, what is it? We're not talking about exercise, contrary to popular opinion in culture. So let's do a little bit of compare and contrast, and hopefully I can present meditation to you as something that is very important, something that, in fact, we can't afford to do without as Christians and learn that it has nothing to do with a yoga mat or an exercise routine or anything that the world might be doing, okay? So, Buddhism is typically understood as where meditation kind of has its roots. Now, in our society today, I don't think that most people that talk about meditation as actually something that they do would say that they are a Buddhist. I think that they would actually just say, this is something I do as an atheist, 
Um, even though most Buddhists are atheists, uh, historically it is an atheistic religion. But um, they would say, I do this as an atheist, somebody that's not tied to any religion, uh, that doesn't believe in God, or at least an agnostic, I don't know that there is a God. But this is something that I do for really personal development. This is something that I do to hone in my emotions and to be an ultimately happier person as a result. That's how I typically hear meditation explained from the world, as it were. So regardless of the kind of ties that it has historically had to Buddhism, I don't think that that's how it's practiced today, by and large, in America. The thing about a book like 1989, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, this was one of those personal development books that anybody and everybody that cared anything about personal development back in those days uh, had to have on their shelf. And most of them did. This has sold millions and millions of copies and is still somewhat relevant today. I think a lot of people would still point to it. But if that 1989 book were written in our 21st century, or if even we could say if it was written in 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022 era, I think meditation would be described as one of those seven habits because it seems to be so pervasive. It seems to be such a part of the entrepreneur America work from home. Uh, small business owner, uh, social figure, YouTuber, for whatever reason it seems, as me as, as a YouTuber, as owning the business better, Bible reading, the brand, uh, I always come into contact with uh, people who podcast about being entrepreneurs, people who uh, make resources about different uh website builders and all of the tools that somebody like me would use. It seems like when they talk about personal development for people like me, for whatever reason, uh, meditation flies up to the very top of the list. Now, the way that I have heard this described, and I, I wrote this down, I have some notes. I don't normally have much notes on the show, but I wanted to make sure that I got it right. But the way that that meditation, as it's presented in that context, as it's practiced, uh, extensively in America in this context, the way that it is described is to clear all negative thought, all outside uh, influences, all the voices of the crowds, the, uh, so think uh, bad uh, family members, think bad work situations, bad home environment. You're supposed to Clear all of those things out from your mind and search deep from within. Search into yourself and find the right. Find the good. So it's this practice where the outside environment is bad and negative, And that ends up spoiling the good that is deep within. And so if you can clear out all of that and harness the good that's within, that's where the transformation takes place. And so this is really a passive exercise in that sense, because it's a clearing of your mind and emptying of your thoughts. You almost think of like like therapy sessions, right? Where it's kind of this uh, 
hypnotic thing. So secular meditation, as it's understood in that sense, we could say is passive. Um, it is something that is done to rid yourself of outside influences, and as a result, um, you're able to harness the good within. Now, if we contrast that with meditation as it's described in the Bible, we find that it is a very, very, very strong contrast. Uh, obviously, if you are a Christian, if you watch this show on the regular and you uh, have pretty good familiarity with the terrain of the Bible, uh, you know that a lot of those uh, worldviews that were uh, just described in this idea of meditation is very foreign to what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says very different things about where evil is. It says different things about where good is, how much good is in us, if any. Uh, these things are very much in contrast to one another. And it turns out that meditation, as it's described in the Bible, is uh, along the same lines. The Old Testament, when we read examples of meditation, um, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but if you do a study of the words used to describe meditation in the Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, uh, you'll find uh, concepts such as contemplation, study, uh, keeping a mind fixed upon something, uh, even uh, this idea of moans or groans or sighs, which speak to the depths of ourselves wrestling with a reality. Um, one of the things that I think about uh, in the New Testament that kind of corresponds to this is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, where it talks about the Bible as living and active, like a sword that's able to divide uh, to the very heart of a person, the very depths of our being. The Bible is able to expose us, and as we are exposed to the Bible, uh, we get a sense of ourselves that is unmatched from anywhere else. In other words, we understand ourselves best when we look to the Bible, but the Bible exposes ourselves best to us uh, in a way that is unmatched because it is God's living and active word. God's word does something to us. It transforms us. Or if we are unrepentant and stay in unbelief, then it further hardens us. We don't remain neutral in our experience and exposure to the Bible. And when you think about meditation in that sense, um, it has to do with latching on to something uh, from the Christian uh, conception. You think about how that is described in the day in, day out. I think about uh, the Psalms, uh, where we're told in Psalm uh, to hide God's word in our hearts uh, that we might not sin against him. Uh, God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Uh, when a light is shining in a dark area, or we could even say a pitch black area, we don't want to venture outside of the uh, cone of light. If you've ever walked around in the woods, pitch black, no stars in the sky, no street lights anywhere in sight, you're totally isolated from the outside world. 
and all you have is a flashlight, uh, you want to stay in that realm of where the light is being shown because everything else is darkness. You could trip and fall. You could uh, twist your ankle on something. You could get caught in a, uh, I don't know, a trap. <laughs> Just whatever you come across, you fall into a pit. Uh, you, you can find an animal that was ready to eat you or something like that, right? You, you want to stay in uh, the area that the light is exposing. It is a guide. It is, keeps us safe. It shows us the obstacles that are coming up on us for safe navigation. But um, in terms of the moral and the ethical and the characteristic development, we want to take our exposure to God's Word and hide it within us. So it's a taking of something, if you think about meditation this way, it's a taking of something outside of ourselves and being transformed by it as we hide it, as we ingest it, if you will, as we partake of it, as we savor it. And all of those connotations are very much opposite of how the world describes meditation. Meditation is kind of this um, existential process in the world where somehow, some way, we take a deep breath count to 10. We clear our minds of all the stresses of life. We don't worry about the negativity of our job. We don't worry about the broken relationships in our home. And we certainly don't look to ourselves as the problem we look to outside influences as the problem. And if we can purge ourselves from that in quiet, uninterrupted time, then somehow we can uh, ignite the good within us so that we live the rest of the day or the rest of the week or the rest of the month with less anger, with less frustration towards things that we can't change. Um, it is very much a process that doesn't point to a different person. It really points to ourselves as the hero for overcoming our own obstacles. And even that those things like anger or frustration or even depression uh, is just kind of seen not as character flaws or problems of who we are, but it's seen as outcomes of being exposed to bad environments. Uh, I tend to think of this as the way that the government tries uh, to save us by assuming that if we just had a little bit more money, if we just had a little bit more education, if we had a better home, if we you know change all of the external circumstances, then we would shine. And certainly there is a, a way to defend such an idea as education is, is good, not bad. Um, a good home life is good, not bad right? Uh, good finances are better than bad finances, those kind of things. But those things don't fundamentally change people. But in this kind of worldview that's tied up with um, meditation, according to the world, uh, we could think that the way that we get better is just by looking a little bit deeper to ourselves and a little bit less at the world. Um, in Christian meditation, as I've just described it as part of the Bible process, part of the Bible reading process, it's not something that we gravitate towards as an exercise routine to start out the day, as a simple mechanical steps one, two, three process 
that we might do. It's also not something that we do by simply closing our eyes and counting to a certain number or almost like an incantation thing where we say something enough times and kind of work ourselves up in that mindset. All of those things are pretty well superstitious. And uh, even though the world would say that it's non-religious, non-spiritual, there very much is a superstitious element to those kind of things. Um, So what I'm saying is the Bible puts a context to what we think about meditation. It is not a ridding ourselves of all things external. It's grabbing onto something very peculiar and something that is very external, and that is God's Word. God's Word is high and above us. The reason we have our Bible is because God stooped down to speak to us. God has condescended from uh, who He is, one that dwells in unapproachable light and speaks to us, and gives us the preserved word that is able to make us wise unto salvation, Uh, the life-giving word of Christ, the word that is able to sanctify us and keep us in him. So meditation is something, it's this practice of reflection, this practice of contemplation. And there's certainly nothing inside of us to contemplate, to study, to reflect, to keep our mind fixated upon, we got to go outside of ourselves for that. And we don't go outside of ourselves for that by simply a different mindset or a different set of external circumstances. We go to the source, to the thing that God has given us to meditate upon, and that is His Word. That is His will. And so, Meditation is not an exercise routine, it's not a thing that we do, it is something that we are fixed upon. So it, it has a substantive element, element, and that is the Bible. To put it very clearly, meditation cannot happen apart from the Bible because we are meditating on something. It is not a thing we do it is something that we focus on. And that's really the high contrast between uh, secular meditation and Christian meditation. Christian meditation has a source, and it's not within ourselves, it's outside of ourselves. And it is something that is objective, something that doesn't change, something that we always need to go back to the Bible. In the world, it's passive, it's fuzzy. It's subjective because it's different for everybody. There's no actual way to do it. It, All Everybody's circumstances are different, and however you do it is just to make yourself a better version of yourself. Now, this is to achieve liberation from your suffering, to cultivate more compassion, joy. And so the, the the ends that are in mind, things like compassion and joy, and things like being a better member of society, those things aren't bad. Those things aren't evil. Um, they have um, good societal ideals to them. But the reality is we can't actually cultivate that in its proper way, in its real way, 
uh, apart from how God actually changes us to be more like Christ. And that is not by looking deep within ourselves, it's by looking outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ and where he's revealed, and that is the Bible. And so that's why another fascinating thing about meditation, according to Christianity, is that our meditation is active. It's not passive the way that the world understands it. It's an active exercise of latching on to what God has to say and hiding it in our hearts so that we may not sin against him, or by extension, may not sin against others either. And where do we go to really see this? Well, admittedly, I'm going to a passage that actually doesn't talk about meditation explicitly as a phrase, but the concept of what meditation is, is certainly found here in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 17 are really a wonderful place to go to understand what meditation is. And I would like to just read it in its entirety and just point out a couple things uh, for this episode as we kind of close out after this. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, let me stop there really quick and just point out that that verse might sound familiar because that is the verse in our Teaching Thursdays study of Theoretical Practical Theology with Peter Van Maastricht. That's the verse that he used throughout our time in his best method of preaching. The example text that he used throughout that whole introduction in the best method of preaching, was Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So kind of uh, unique to revisit it here in its fuller context. All right, verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, uh, this won't be a full-fledged sermon by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons this passage is on my mind is because I'm actually getting ready to preach it at my church uh, very soon. So I've been kind of churning this text in my mind as of late. And so I, I might share that sermon once I do it, if you want a full treatment of the text. But I pointed out because uh, you could really map out what Paul is saying here in our working definition of Christian meditation. You can map it out in a positive and a negative way. The negative, first, is put off, put away, remove these things from you. Now, the fascinating thing about how Paul says put away, put off, remove, compared to what the world understands as meditation, is that the putting away is not our external circumstances. It's not other people. It's not bad environments. Now, certainly we should avail ourselves of getting out of a bad environment if it proves to be destructive to us. But Paul doesn't lay blame against bad environments and bad circumstances. The things that he tells us to put off and put away and remove ourselves from and distance ourselves from are things that are found within, things that are within us, things like malice, uh, idolatry, sexual immorality, uh, obscene talk, slander, lying in general. All of these things uh, are things that are a product of fallen humanity, things that all of us living in a post-Genesis 3 world uh, cannot escape. Um, we are called, as Christians, the qualifier in verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you belong to Christ, if we have been brought to new spiritual life in Christ, think of Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Revelation 20, this idea of spiritual resurrection, we've been brought from death to life, we are seated and raised with Christ in heavenly places. If this is true of you, then your earthly life as it plays out day by day should reflect that. And that means there is a necessity of putting sin to death, to put it bluntly. We should be slaying sin. We should be mortifying sin. And that means we must put off these things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Paul says in verse 5. Why is this? Well, because of verse 3. Because we've died. Our life is hidden with Christ. These things are not optional. Christian meditation does imply a negative aspect. You think about sin in general, the way it's described in the Bible, has both a negative and positive aspect. Sin can be anything we do that is against the will of God, but it can also be anything that we don't do which God commands us to do. If you want to render that down to the ultimate description, uh, we could look at the two great commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Anytime that we don't do that, we are sinning, and sinning uh, quite grievously, I might add. 
the Ten Commandments are expressed as sins, uh, things that are forbidden, um, that would require us to go against loving God and go against loving our neighbor. Um, These things have a negative and a positive element. And so, meditation, uh, dwelling on the good things of God, uh, focusing on Jesus Christ, aspiring to live like him, and to bear his image uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, implies a negative and a positive aspect in order to be able to do that. Uh, There is no neutral ground in the Christian life. Uh, To be doing one means that we also must be doing the other. We must be doing the negative to put off in order to do the positive, which is what else he talks about. Uh, Starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, so on and so forth. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, verse 14. And so, the summary, if we wanted to break this up into four parts, really, uh, we could say that the banner statement of this passage in verses 1 through 17, and I encourage you to go back and read this and, and study it up, the banner statement is verses 1 through 4. The if then you have been raised with Christ, this is what is to be true of you. Then he gives the negative, verses 5 through 11. That's all of the put off, put away, remove them. That's the negative. Then he moves to the positive in verses 12 through 15. Put on, put on. And then finally, a summary statement, which implies exactly how to do that. So, uh, again, if you want to outline this passage, the banner statement, verses 1 through 4, the negative aspect, verses 5 through 11, the positive aspect, verses 12 through 15, and then the summary statement, or the how-to. And this is really where meditation, in focusing and dwelling on God's Word, really, you can see it very clearly. And that's, this is what he says. In the closing two verses, 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now, there's an interesting part there. Paul not only points to the word as the way that we put off and put on and really live in light of our being raised with Christ in light of being Christians. He not only points to the world in general, or to the word in general, excuse me, but he points to the word in the corporate context. That's really fascinating. So the way that we grow, the way that we meditate, is not in personal isolation uh, at the foremost. There certainly is an individual aspect to it. But for Paul... The main way that we meditate as Christians is not in isolation individualistically, the way that meditation is understood by the world, but in the corporate context of God's people, that is, in church context, in public worship, in the elements of public worship, to be even more precise. Notice what he did. Let the word dwell in you richly, and how is that going to happen? By teaching and admonishing one another. 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you can really see that Paul is pointing to corporate worship as the way that Christian meditation takes place. And then the final verse, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. It's almost like a like a benediction to public worship, almost like our lives beyond public worship should be lived in response to the experience of public worship. So meditation, from a Christian perspective, is active, not passive. It's primarily corporate, not individualistic. And it's tied to an objective truth. It's not tied to looking to our subjective selves that change every day. It's tied to looking at the sure standard, the living and active Word of God that is able to change us, the Word that is able to make us wise for salvation, the Word that is able to keep us in truth and sanctify us to be like Christ. So it really is a world of difference, uh, the way that Christians understand meditation, biblically speaking, and biblically centered, versus the way that the world understands meditation. And so I want to encourage you to just think about meditation the way the Bible depicts it for us. And hopefully this really uh, puts to mind the importance of reading God's Word. Uh, Obviously, I'm better Bible reading. I'm always going to be uh, emphasizing this. But also the importance of corporate worship, because according to Paul, this has to happen for us, and it only happens within that context. And so hopefully you have a new found appreciation for the weekly gathering of God's people. And and if you are not doing that, uh, hopefully this motivates you to make that a priority, uh, because for Paul, it certainly is. And so be encouraged, friends. Uh, Hopefully this was a good little exercise, a good little uh, not typical word study, if you will, of meditation and comparing and contrasting what the world thinks it is between what the Bible thinks it is. So thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode. Uh, Excited to jump back into Teaching Thursdays with you, our study on theoretical practical theology. Uh, Plenty of resources available at betterbiblereading.com, and so I want to encourage you to check that out. If you're a listener of the podcast but haven't made your way over to YouTube, I have plenty of Bible reviews and, and tips for Bible reading uh, that I've made videos on over the last couple months. So please uh, head to the YouTube channel for better Bible reading and check that out if you have not already. Well, I'll see all of you on another episode real soon and take care. Thanks so much.